Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. You know, I'm so excited that we've been journeying through Acts together. And um, if you haven't read all or caught up, you should go to the podcast and get caught up on where we are because over the last few weeks, there's been a turning point. But this week, honestly, Acts chapter 10 is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, you can bring them out. This is like a really big week in Acts. This is a turning point. Now, um, Trevor sort of stole my thunder um, by talking about the NFL, but I'm going to come back to that and say there is no weekend that we, uh, maybe there's one other weekend. There's only one other weekend, one other day of the year where it is so pronounced the divisions that we have in our country. One of those is that week in November when we go to a ballot box. And folks, that's a coming. And the reality is we reel and feel the divisions that are in our world. But I think uh, that pales into comparison on the kickoff for NFL weekend. Am I not? How many Bears fans we have in the house? Now, how many Packers fans do we have in the house? How many Broncos fans do we have in the house? Just, just, just me. The, the divisions are real right No, no, like we, we, we play around, but the divisions are real in the world that we live in. And in Acts chapter 10, we begin to see a vision that looks different. Now, uh, the BBC just recently did this whole poll where, you know, we, I think oftentimes we think that the problems we have here in the United States, it's just us, right? But the truth is, BBC did this poll. They pulled 20,000 people from around the world And we weren't even at the top of the list when it came to perceived division within those nations. The country of Serbia, 95% believed that the divisions in their country were insurmountable. You go down the list, we're about fifth. 84% of people that live in this country, that means almost nine out of 10 believe that the divisions that we face as a people are insurmountable. That what divides us is so deep, there is no way to come back. And folks, we are heading into that time of year when these divisions will be made so stark. And we will be told, in media outlets and on newspapers, what separates us far outweighs what brings us together. For the first time in maybe a generation or a lifetime, we feel like there's no way back from this. Well, here's the good news. There is good news. The good news is that there is good news. And we can find it in Acts chapter 10. Now, now let me give you a little, little background on what we're about to read, because we're going to be plowing through some, some scriptures. So if you want to get your Bible ready, if you want to get to your phone um, and, and follow along, Uh, that would be great. But let me remind you that we think the divisions are insurmountable this day and age. But the the, the time in which the gospel came into being was as divided a time as any this world has ever seen. The Roman world, Jews and Gentiles didn't interact. There were slaves everywhere. There was a class system that was extensive. The rich took advantage of the poor. The same racial rivalries that we see in this modern world, they existed. And this, in this divisive milieu, is where the gospel started. It started in the midst of of a world that seemed 
absolutely broken apart. Divisions that seemed insurmountable. This is where our story started. And remember, this story didn't start a few decades ago here in Rockford. Our story, our story started here. This this is our story. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let's read this. It says, Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, let me say something about this man because it's going to come into play in just a minute. We know that he was a centurion, he was a, he, he was a warrior, he was, he was an army fellow. And the Italian regiment or the Italian cohort of the Roman army was comprised of legions. Now, a, a, a legion in, in, in the Roman army was made up of about 6,000 men, okay? That was a legion. So it was just like a, a big company of men. These legions were then comprised of these cohorts, and those were about 600 men per cohort. And then centurions were the officers who were in charge of about 100 men. So 60 centurions per cohort. All right, so that is who this man is. Long line of discipline, right? Long line of war, following orders, doing what he's told to do. This is who this man is. It says this in verse three. It says, one day... About three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Now, now. I want you to understand how important this is. Now, centurions were known as the backbone of the Roman army, and the reason why they were thought this way is because they followed orders to a T, right? Like, good soldiers, when they're told to do what they're supposed to do, they do what they're told to do. Do you notice, God didn't ask him to do anything. You notice that? He didn't say, what do you think, Cornelius? What do you, what do you think? Should, should we go down and... Meet this man that you have no idea who it is? Should we send some men down that way? What do you think? Because on the surface, this doesn't make any sense, right? Cornelius is like, I don't know who this guy is. What do you mean? He doesn't argue with God. He just says, sure. It says in verse 7, when the angel spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called up to his servants, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them, Everything had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Now, let me say something. Let me pause here. I thought about the disposition of Cornelius, and I thought about how we work as human beings. Most of the time, when God asks us to do something, we are in the business of answering with what I think is probably one of the more problematic consonants in the, the letters of the alphabet. You ever thought about this? When God asks you to do something you don't understand, you do what my kid does whenever I ask him to clean his room. You ask why, right? When you don't know what God's up to, our first response is often, why? Why why you want me to do that? Why in the world would I do that? Why would I show up at church? 
Why would I give of my time and my effort? Why would I do this thing that makes no sense? It is oftentimes the first response. When God asks any of us to do things, we say, why? When in reality, the start of what was a brand new movement and what you have to understand is this little thing that happened seems so irrelevant. So what? God spoke to some centurion somewhere and he said, okay, big whoop. You don't understand. If that's your response to this passage, then you don't understand. It is his response is why you're even sitting here. This dude that's literally on the backside of nowhere, that his whole life has just followed orders. And I would imagine he's just sort of said, look, I've just been devout. I'm just gonna do what I'm supposed to do. God shows up in his life, asks him to do something, and he doesn't say why. Some of the reason we have the problems in our life isn't because God hasn't showed up. It's because when he did, we said, why you want me to do that? Hmm? Instead of, Okay. I mean, imagine what your life would look like if you could shift from that one letter to those two letters. A willingness to do what God asks you to do when he asks you to do it. Okay. So Cornelius says, okay. Now, I love the way that God works because God is often doing stuff that we cannot comprehend and 10 shows you God at work in ways that if you were living through it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Now, check it. Says this in the Bible. Says, after Cornelius, right? So God shows up to Cornelius says, listen, I need you to send some men down to meet this dude, Peter. Cornelius says, okay. Now, at the same time, God starts talking to Peter. And it says this. It says, Peter went up on the roof to pray. This is verse nine. In verse 10, he became hungry because, you know, he's a human and prayer makes you hungry. He got hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, listen. I love this. I love this. Oftentimes, church people are the hardest ones for God to get through to. Do you notice what he had to do to get Peter's attention? He had to put him in a trance. No, 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 think about this for a minute. He goes to Cornelius. He shows up. Cornelius is not considered an insider. He's considered an outsider. He's a Gentile, right? He doesn't get to go to temple. He's an outsider. God shows up and he's like, okay, what does God have to do to get Peter's attention? He doesn't just show up. He's got to put the man in a trance. I got to thinking about that. Folks, sometimes we start following Jesus and we stop listening to him. He's got to put us in trances to get our attention. We get so stuck in the seat we sit in, the way things are supposed to be. We start saying, now, wait a minute. I don't like it. I don't like the way we're doing that. I don't like the way church people can be some of the hardest for God to get through to. And Peter's on it. Here it is. He's like, God has to put him in a trance. So the Bible says he does, puts him in a trance. And um, you read through this passage, but uh, it said, 
he has this vision. Verse 17. Um, if you actually, you want to go back to verse 13. It says, he saw heaven open up. Verse 11, something like large sheet being let down to earth by four corners. It contained all of this, these four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And this is great. It says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And this is, this is great, right? Oftentimes when God does us, asks us to do something we've never done before, we often say, why? So he's, he says, he doesn't say why. He just says, surely not, Lord. You don't want me to do that. I've never eaten anything impure and unclean. God's like, I'm putting you in a trance. I want you to eat the food. He's like, well, surely not. You can, can't you see the Lord going, you gotta be kidding me. Just do what I'm asking you to do, Peter. He said, surely not. Woke up, verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now, this is a vision of two different kinds of faith. This Cornelius has a lot of gall. He's just doing what God asked him to do. He sent his men, and then his men did what God asked him to do. Just showed up, calling out for some dude named Peter. Why? Because God told me to come here and find some dude named Peter. Is there some dude named Peter here? Obviously, you don't think that's as funny as I do, but I think it's hilarious. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate, for I have sent them to you. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking a lot about this passage. Um, And I was thinking a a lot about how often for us as followers of Jesus, it takes so much time for us for to register like what God's up to. Now think about this. Here's Peter. This is who he's gonna build the church on, right? We'll build the church on this man. In this singular moment, he is changing the nature of the church in this moment. What we're about to find out is that he's gonna change Peter's mind about who gets to be followers of Jesus, right? Like people like you and me, if this doesn't happen, we don't get to be a part of this. This crazy little passage If this crazy stuff doesn't happen, we don't get to be a part of it. But here's what's crazy. He had to go through all this trouble to get Peter's attention when from the jump, this is what Jesus has been preaching. Remember, Peter followed around Jesus. So it isn't like in Acts chapter 10, a new idea about this church that would include everybody came into existence. Jesus had been preaching this Peter followed this dude around. Look at what Jesus says. John 17, verse 21, it says, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they, he's praying this aloud. His disciples have seen him live this for three years. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Now check this out. It says, the glory that you have given me, I've given them, so that they may be one. This has been Jesus' message. And I thought, isn't it true that followers of Jesus, oftentimes we miss the point? Like we can follow Jesus really closely and miss the point. Because this is Peter. This Peter had to have, be sent into a trance. He followed Jesus. He knows who he is. He's a disciple 
And yet when he starts to build the church, he falls back into some of the same things he had done before. And Jesus was setting up so something so fundamentally different. Now you have to remember, this would have challenged everything Peter knew to be true, right? What Jesus was doing is leveling the field. No more social status, no more uh, tables, and, and, and no more uh, spaces that were defined by ethnicity or um, how much money you had or where you grew up. He said, we are going to have a new kind of kingdom where the only thing that unifies us It's not a country, not a flag. The common bond wasn't blood or family. It was the cross. The cross. Peter witnessed it. He saw it. And yet, there's hope for us that are in the club of the hard-headed. God keeps reaching out. He keeps chasing us down. And in this moment, Peter is reminded of what Jesus was preaching. Now, let me skip forward to who Peter was debating this whole time, and this was the Apostle Paul. Because Paul the whole time was saying, listen, I think everybody should get in on this. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, everybody, all together, one, in one, in us. Right? This is the Apostle Paul, and he lays it out in Ephesians. Let me just read a few verses, because this is the vision. If you're saying, what, is, what does Acts chapter 10 have to do with me today and four City Church? Here it is. Ephesians. You can flip over to Ephesians 2, but I'm going to read through this. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. This is it. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles. Formerly you were lost. That's all of us. By birth, and you were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves circumcision. That would have been Peter, right? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and God in the world. But now, love that word. But now, listen, some of you, you have struggled with addiction. But now, you have been freed. Some of you have had marriages that have fallen apart. You see no way forward. I love that word, but now. But now. He says, but now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, listen, this is Jesus' purpose, so it might have to be ours too, his purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of two. The goal of all of this was a new community, a new place. And it's crazy to me that 2,000 years later, we struggle with the same old things that, that was dividing them, and we struggle with them in our churches. The same divisions, the same dividing lines. 
Jesus was saying, I'm going to weave something together that is not easily broken, but I am going to weave something together that is so unbelievably beautiful where old distinctions of race and ethnicity and gender, their obliterated social status won't matter in this kingdom. Slave and free won't matter in this kingdom. Instead, we all will be sons of da- and daughters of the most high God. That means brothers and sisters. Let me say something about brothers and sisters. We live in this culture where like, you got to get it right all the time. We cancel each other way too fast. We just do. The family I lived in, we fought sometimes. Like the family I lived in was kind of weird because at one family reunion, one of my cousins got stuck right in the leg with a knife. We're not going to do that. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> is like families sometimes fight. Sometimes it isn't always perfect, but we understand we're family. See, what Jesus was setting up was, was, was a, a new family. One, one that wasn't uh, predicated on our sameness. See, this is, what, this is what divides us is when we get into these moments where we feel like threatened and we feel afraid and we don't know what we normally do. It's because it's biological in us. We run to places that look just like us because we know, well, maybe it will be safe there. So we create these spaces of sameness. And, and these spaces of sameness actually make us less safe. Because I stand on this side and you stand on that side and as our sameness becomes more accentuated, we fear more what's gonna happen and the divide grows and grows and Jesus from the jump was saying, don't you understand? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all that away. In this kingdom, shouldn't be built on sameness. We should celebrate the fact that we look different. We come from different places. We have different backgrounds because it isn't, it isn't about like the, the party that we serve or the team that we root, root for. We can have all those things. But the great unifying factor for all of us as followers of Jesus is the cross. I have to cook, so I'm just gonna... I got real excited about this message. In verse 15, I'm gonna read this and then we're gonna close. I love in verse 15, I go back. He says, God says to Peter, hey, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Seeing I'm about to set up something new, Peter. I'm gonna reconcile these divisions. I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to reconcile. It is at the heart of the gospel. In fact, from the day that I came here as your pastor, the dream that I have had is a church that understands this, Acts chapter 10. That the greatest apologetic for the veracity of the gospel and that the cross actually works isn't just the fact that individually neat things are happening in our lives. That's important But what happens when communities come together that don't look like each other, that don't, hadn't hung with each other, 
When people walk by and look at our church and go, dude, how in the world do all you crazy people all hang out together? The answer is singular. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. Right? It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus that reconciles Packers and Bears together, right? It's just Jesus that does it. Some of you are like, some stuff's unreconcilable. But listen, listen to what Revelation 7, 9, this is a picture of what we're trying to build. This is the community that Jesus sets up. It's a vision of heaven. Look at, listen to what it says. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now listen, every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Now listen, listen. You don't want to get to heaven, do you? And for the first time, see that group, right? You don't want to wait till then, do you? You don't want to get there and went, well, golly, I didn't know it was supposed to be like that down back there on earth. No. See, this is what we're trying to do when we say life together. This is what we're trying to do when we say, no, 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 no. What we want you to do is walk around and meet some people you, you never met before. When we say we're trying to build a church that looks like this community, it's not because it's a neat idea. Trust me, this is really hard. It's because it's gospel. And from my vantage point, we do not have a choice. This is what the cross does. And I love in Acts 10, verse 34 and 35, when it says, and now... I realize how true it is. Listen, this is Peter. God does not show favoritism. But he accepts every nation and one who fears him and does what is right. In this moment, God does all these things. And Peter, even though he's been around it for so long, he has an awakening. And what I'm praying for is that if you've been walking through life and maybe you haven't quite understood how Acts 10 applies to you, that we all have an awakening to this. This is the point. I want you to come to church and enjoy the music. That's really important. And I want you to come and not be bored by the preaching. That's important. But ultimately, the reason why we do church is because at the end of the day, Jesus says, listen, this church that I'm going to build, this thing, it's going to transform communities. Listen, listen, he wrote this before the United States existed. Okay, so I just want to be clear. Okay, so this, this happened well before us. So that means like this supersedes all the stuff we're trying to do with politics. I mean, it's fine, like policy matters, I suppose. But at the end of the day, like when this got, there's been lots of different people from lots of different countries that were all ruled a lot differently, reading the same doggone thing for 2,000 years. And that he's saying to us, hey, put your trust in justice. Put your trust in this. Put your trust in this. Now, I'm going to say this, um, and then uh, I'm praying in closing. My hope for us in this next season, and I think it will be an important one, is that we can figure out how to model what happens after Acts chapter 10 as a community. 2024 is going to be bonkers. Let's just talk straight. 
It's going to be nuts. And all of us are going to have different opinions about all these things. What I'm going to challenge us as people, people of the way, or what we used to be called, as followers of Jesus, people of the way. What I'm going to challenge us is to stay here. To stay here. To stay right here. Like the cross as our uniting factor. We can, we can disagree about all kinds of things in this family, but what we cannot disagree on is that this, this is what unites us, not any of the other things. So don't lose hope. If you think it's insurmountable and we can't get there, I know I do too some days. That's why like, I've been trying to boycott the news because I listen to it and I think, man, will we ever, is it too far? And then I read 10 and I go, no, it's not. In fact, maybe this is exactly the right time for this to happen. Maybe this is exactly what Jesus had in mind. I'll read this verse one more time. John 17, Jesus says, the glory that, I, that you have given me, I've given them. He's given you. So that they may be one. I think the greatest miracle we could perform in this day and age is to create a space that is unified around the cross. Different ethnicity, different backgrounds, different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, all of it. I don't think there would be a greater miracle. And Jesus is saying, all the power and the glory you have given me, I have given them so that they might be one. Will you stand with me? We pray with me, Father, may it be so. May it be so in this space. May we be a people who are so enamored by the cross that all the other differences fade away. That we are so united by what you did, Jesus, that that's how we see each other. Children of yours, brothers and sisters of the most high God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.